Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 217 of the podcast at a Swimming America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. I am recording here early to midday Sunday. I hope by the time you guys listen to this, all of you have enjoyed a nice fun day of football. I don't know as I record who will be playing in the Super Bowl. I actually did want to get this out of the way so I could watch the games and chill and relax on Sunday afternoon, but I hope everybody had a great weekend watching college hoops. So much to get into for today's show. I am obviously, goes without saying, Going to open with the Kentucky-Arkansas game. Wild game. John Calipari getting tossed. Kentucky coming back. And I just really kind of have a lot of thoughts on both teams. I, I thought both teams showed really good signs. I think Arkansas, there are some things that they're obviously going to have to work on going forward. But I still like them in the big picture. I know a lot of Arkansas fans are a little bit down on Monday, so we'll talk about them. We will transition to Louisville, which clearly, shout out to Chris Mack, he must be listening to this show because I told him about a month ago, you got to put in David Johnson, you got to let him play. He does exactly that. They go on the road, they beat Duke, so we'll talk about Louisville. We will talk about my UConn Huskies, and really kind of just one of these days where I'm going to bounce all around the country. UConn, another narrow loss this time to Villanova. Last week it was Wichita State. This week it was Villanova. I do want to talk about UConn because I do think there are things that are going in the right direction as they kind of figure things out in this Dan Hurley era. And we'll wrap with a little West Coast. I, I do have some thoughts on kind of Arizona, Oregon, the whole kind of West Coast scene. And I know one of the reasons that a lot of you guys love this show is because I am the I am the guy that frankly uh, talks West Coast basketball. And I know a lot of you guys, you work, you, you get up early for work, you can't always stay up late for the Pac-12. And so I'll give you a little rundown on where I think the state of the Pac-12 is. Arizona with a really nice win over Colorado, I think may be a bigger deal than people think. So much to get into, so I'm not going to waste any time. But before we get started, I do want to remind everybody, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android. Podcast Addict is the way to go. You can also do it on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the AT Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, like Johnny B did last week, the guy from Tennessee who said that when the Vols got good a few years ago, he was looking for a show to talk more college hoops. He came to AT and he has been stuck ever since. So shout out to Johnny B. Shout out to everybody who has rated and reviewed the show. Thank you guys so much. It really does mean a lot. And it really is kind of cool for me personally to kind of figure out what you guys like, what you don't like, where you're listening to the show 
so that I can make this show as good as possible for you guys because at the end of the day, all I want to do is put out a great product that you guys are going to enjoy. I know I say it all the time. We are going to get some more guests on this show. I got a few lined up that I think are going to be really fun. Uh, So yeah, so make sure to subscribe, make sure to rate and review, give us a quick five stars. If you want to follow on Instagram, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. That is, of course, on Instagram. And if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. The intention was to do a mailbag last week, but because of the fact that that there were so many crazy upsets on Wednesday night when Duke lost to Clemson, Kentucky lost to South Carolina, Auburn lost to Alabama. That has gotten bumped back, so there's plenty to talk about. And if you want to send in any questions for the next mailbag or just in general for me to answer, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into it. Big game of the weekend. Great, I think, fun, crazy atmosphere. It was cool to kind of see on social media uh, how fired up the fans in Fayetteville were for this game. I, I know I said it on this last show, but I was actually supposed to be at the game. There were some complications with my Saturday radio show, wasn't able to attend. But shout out to the Arkansas Razorbacks fans who brought it. It was a major happening in the state of Arkansas. I, I saw videos of, of students, even with tickets. I'm not talking about lining up to get tickets. I'm talking about had tickets. They were in line at the crack of dawn for a, a 3 o'clock local time game um, just to get the best seats. And so shout out to Arkansas fans. I had Arkansas fans reach out to me that have been going to games for years that said it was one of the best, if not the best environments. And obviously I have friends uh, from the Kentucky perspective, media, fans, etc., who have said very much the same, that it was one of the great environments that Kentucky has ever played in. I thought it showed really well on TV and it was a fun game. And so we're going to get into all the little kind of logistics of it. Obviously, it was kind of a wild back and forth game. Kentucky takes the early lead. Arkansas roars back. Kentucky, then, then you know what happened, and Kentucky ends up closing out the game. And so I do think the best place to start is with what I just kind of giggled about, which is the John Calipari technical foul, about eight minutes left in the game. And John Calipari gets this technical foul. And so the, the setup is, and I know you guys know, but I'm just going to set it up anyway, is that the, the refs kind of really got overly involved in the, first, in the second half. First half was fun. It's back and forth. Guys are making plays. And then the second half, the refs get involved. And from the Kentucky perspective, I understand the Kentucky fans' frustration that um, – you know, that the, the, the whistles appeared to be one-sided. I don't think that they were, and I'll explain why in a minute, but it appeared that way. The first seven whistles of the second half all went against Kentucky. Ashton Hagens picks up his fourth foul, about 15 minutes left, and you're sitting there thinking, like, if you follow Kentucky basketball, you know, like, this is this is not good. Like, Ashton Hagens is, although he's not a great scorer, is a very vital piece to what they do. And so Ashton Hagens picks up his fourth foul. And then at the eight-minute mark, E.J. Montgomery picks up his fourth foul on what was a very questionable moving screen call. And your boy John Calipari just goes bananas, right? Like, we were all watching. It was insane. John Calipari goes crazy. He goes to the refs. He gets a technical. And then the funny thing was, if you were watching closely, uh, he gets the first technical. And, like, I, I don't know if he was surprised or he was mad or it was a confluence of emotions. But he's just kind of standing there 
wandering. He reminded me like a little child lost in the grocery store looking for his parents. Like he didn't know if he wanted to run and yell at the refs. He didn't know if he wanted to walk back to the bench. And all of a sudden, uh, he does, in fact, stay in the ears of the refs. He gets a second technical foul and gets ejected. And so, of course, listen, we know that this was a game-changing play of the game. Kentucky went on a 17-2 run after that, which I'm going to get into the run in a minute. But I do want to talk about the technical first because it became kind of one of these big uh, internet conspiracy theories. And, And the one thing I do love about the internet, it is a crazy place where it's hard to figure out fact from fiction. But sometimes, whether it is fact or fiction... It's fun to believe the conspiracy theory, right? Like, 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 just as an example, on my radio show on Saturday night, we were talking a lot about this Astros cheating scandal, and like, it's fu- like, like, was we we know that there were video monitors used, but like, there's now these rumors that uh, Jose Altuve had a buzzer on his inside shoulder, and there's you were looking at videos, and what does it mean? Was he really holding a buzzer? And I don't really know, but it's kind of fun to just go down that road of like, well, it looks kind of looks like he was holding a buzzer. I'm not saying, but I'm kind of just saying. And so I bring that up because with the Calipari stuff, it quickly uh, evolved even during the game into a back and forth like, so did so Cal got that technical on purpose, got, got thrown out on purpose to like get his team fired up, right? And of course, naturally. Um, that was my personal opinion is that he did, and I'm going to get into that in a second. And of course, naturally, when people like me say, well, I think he might have, you get the other side, you get the yeah, but guy on Twitter. And I, I saw a bunch of people, there's no way he would have ever, ever gotten a technical on purpose to motivate his team. If you think that you're an idiot. I think I saw, um, Dan Wolken from, um, USA Today say that. I honestly don't know Dan. I'm not here. I don't, I try not to crush other media members because, especially people I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, it, to say like you're an idiot if you think that that he purposely got a technical, uh, no, that that's, that's idiotic for you to say. You're an idiot for saying that. And you know why? Because it has happened before. I vividly remember UConn. I'm a UConn guy. We're going to talk about the Huskies in a minute. UConn, sometime towards the tail end of Jim Calhoun's era, 2009, 10, 11, somewhere in there. They're playing West Virginia. I believe it was like an old school Big Monday with with the Big East. West Virginia, of course, was in the Big East at the time with Bob Huggins. And the game is getting away from UConn in the first half, and UConn can't get a call. And Jim Calhoun gets teed up. And I don't remember if he got teed up and then ejected or if he was just teed up with the single T. But they asked him after the game, and he was like, yeah, no, of course I got teed up on purpose. Of course I got teed up on purpose. I'm trying to motivate my team. And of course, guess what? UConn ended up winning. And so the idea that no coach could ever get a technical on purpose to motivate his team, is this, it's preposterous. I don't know how you can say that there's no possibility that it at least happened. And especially if you go back and watch the video, and I went back and watched the video on Sunday morning because I was like, dude, was I overreacting? Was I living in the moment? Was I doing this for likes and retweets and shares? And or was he like really like trying to get a technical foul? And if you go back and watch the video, I think he was trying to get a technical foul if for no other reason than this. Is because after he gets the first one, he it's almost as though he is waiting for somebody to come and get him. And He's just kind of standing there, kind of just hanging out like, okay, uh, is, is, is anybody going to come get me here? And if you watch the video, it's so obvious. Like, like it's amazing. If you actually watch the video of the Calipari technical, um, 
you see that he gets the first technical and there's nobody within 30 feet of him. There's no assistant coach. The, the players, I think, are just very confused, but there's no assistant coach within 30 feet of them. Everybody knows that your job as an assistant coach, if your coach is going bananas, you better grab him. You better go grab your mans and pull him back, get him back to the bench and get him calmed down, and nobody did that. And so the idea that if you watch the video and you're sitting there saying, well, there's just no way he would have done this on purpose, watch the video. He gets the technical. He wanders around like a child at the grocery store looking for his parents. Nobody comes to pick him up. Nobody comes to grab him. The players are kind of wandering around. Tyrese Maxey, go back and watch the video because Tyrese Maxey is the only guy that's within like 10 feet of him when the technical when the first technical foul has happened and he's kind of wandering around and he's going back towards the refs. There's nobody anywhere close. And so I do believe that John Calipari did get that technical foul on purpose. And I do believe that it did its intended goal, which was to get his team fired up. As I mentioned, 17 to 2 run after that technical foul. And I think, look, you know, you asked the Kentucky guys, and again, I don't think that the refs were purposely trying to give the whistle to Arkansas. I just think Arkansas came out much more aggressive in the second half, which again, I will get into in a minute from the Arkansas perspective. But from the, the Kentucky perspective, I do get the frustration that they felt like all the calls were going against them. And so it did motivate the team, and it did lead them on this crazy run where all of a sudden guys started making shots, and it did lead them to victory. In terms of the game itself, I think if you're a Kentucky fan, there's just so many positives to take away. First of all, I thought it was very interesting. I said on this show last week, I said on my Instagram feed, I think Nick Richards is becoming, he is the X factor for this team. You can draw a pretty direct correlation between when Nick Richards plays well, this team is at its best. When Nick Richards isn't on the court because he's in foul trouble or he's not playing well, they're not the same team. And it was funny because the South Carolina game, he played only 24 minutes. They end up losing. I went back and I looked it up. And in Nick Richards' three games where he played the fewest minutes, Kentucky is 0-3. The, the fewest minutes Nick Richards has played all year was against Evansville, Utah, and South Carolina. And they lost all three of those games. Or maybe it wasn't Utah. Maybe it was Ohio State. I can't remember. But when Nick Richards plays, this team wins. When Nick Richards has success, this team is successful. And I think the biggest X factor was that Nick Richards never got into foul trouble. And I really thought that Arkansas would go ahead and try to attack him early. But I think they realized that you can't dump the ball into the post to a 6'11 center and Adriel Bailey to go up and try to go up against a seven foot one center because obviously there is a obviously huge size mismatch. And so I thought keeping Nick Richards on the floor was huge. I thought he was phenomenal. And I thought across the board, it was just a really good game for Kentucky's players. Now look, not everybody played great, but EJ Montgomery struggled. But outside of him, you look at it, the guards continue to do what the guards do. Tyrese Maxey made a couple big buckets. I'll tell you this, I don't know Tyrese Maxey is not the best freshman in the country. He's not going to be an All-American. I don't think he will be SEC Player of the Year. I don't know, though, that there is a guy who makes the, the volume of shots that he makes that are big, that mean something, that come in important moments. I don't think that there is a guy in college basketball that has more of those than Tyrese Maxey. He was phenomenal. Emmanuel quickly was not great in this game, but he was great when it mattered. Big bucket. And I thought, by the way... The guy that really stood out to me was Keon Brooks. Keon Brooks, and not just to me. I'm not saying I'm, I'm like the genius that figured it out. But he obviously played his best game of the year. 
10 points. He gave them very good minutes. A couple big free throws late. By the way, shout out to Johnny Juzang, California's own. He grew up probably about 20 minutes from where I'm recording here. He played big minutes, had a couple big buckets early uh, to kind of extend the lead. So I just thought it was a good team overall effort for Kentucky. And I'll say this, beyond that, in the bigger picture, a couple thoughts. One, I do think this was in fact Kentucky's best win of the season. Now you can argue Louisville's better, they're in first place in the ACC. Well, Michigan State's better, they're in first place in the in the Big Ten. But you play Michigan State on a neutral court when they're still figuring stuff out, when they just found out a week before that they're not going to have Josh Langford for the whole season. You play Louisville when they haven't really figured it out, and we are going to talk about Louisville in a minute. Arkansas has it figured out, and Arkansas, in my opinion, is one of the 25 best teams in college basketball, and this was a hostile road environment. And you went in there, you were never intimidated, you were never overwhelmed by the moment. Were there moments where you were down, where Arkansas made runs? Of course, because that's what good teams do. That's what good opponents do. But you never let the moment get bigger than you. And I thought, all things considering, this was their best win of the season for Kentucky. And I'll also say this, and it's something, I don't know if you know Kentucky fans want to hear this or not, but I also think it kind of speaks to how frustrating this team can be at times going forward. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's very simple. Is that, um, and Kenny Payne even said it after the game, is that Kentucky can beat, and this is what I've been saying since the Michigan State game. They can play with anybody in college basketball. They can beat anybody in college basketball. And I think you can argue, not only was this the best game that they've played all season, the best win that they have relative to the competition, where the game was played, all those kind of things, but I also think that Kentucky now, we're talking about a team that has probably beaten the three best teams on their schedule. The three best teams on their schedule, in my opinion, are the teams that I just laid out. Michigan State, who's currently in first place in the, in the Big Ten. Louisville, who's currently tied with Florida State for first place in the ACC. And this Arkansas team. So they've beaten the three best teams on their schedule. But I will also say, that is what makes this Kentucky team a little bit frustrating and why I think this is an important game for Kentucky going forward. And the reason it's frustrating is because they've beaten the three best teams on their schedule, but they also lost to, not sure if you heard, Evansville. They lost to Utah, a team that they shouldn't have lost to on a neutral court. And they lost to South Carolina earlier this week. And so I actually think this was a great win. This was, in my opinion, their best win of the year. But if you're Kentucky, I think this has to be the turning point. We are now almost at the end of January. We are hitting Martin Luther King Day. You can't just have these ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. Sometimes we come to play, sometimes we don't. That's for November. That's for December, and that's why I think this game is so important, because when you look at this game, if you're a Kentucky fan, you have to sit there, or if you're a Kentucky player, you have to sit there and say, we just went to freaking Bud Walton Arena. That is the craziest road venue we're going to play in all year, and we got to win, and we got to win convincingly. We got to win, by the way, with our head coach in the locker room, but we got to cut it out with the nonsense. We can't not show up for the random game against South Carolina or the random game against Utah. Because to me, that's this, if this team wants to elevate itself into that championship stratosphere, we've seen them beat Michigan State. We've seen them beat Louisville. They want the chance to beat those teams again. If they want the chance to beat the Gonzagas and the Baylors, and I know some Kentucky fans are probably laughing like, oh, we can't hang with Gonzaga. Gonzaga's really good. And Gonzaga comes to play every night. And if you're not ready to play for even six minutes against Gonzaga, you're going to be down 14-3 to three before you even realize it. 
And so this has to be a turning point for Kentucky where they realize when we're at our best, when we're locked in, we can play with anybody in college basketball. And I thought that was so interesting that Kenny Payne actually even said that in the postgame press conference of like, dude, we told our guys we can play with anybody. And now I think for Kentucky, the thing is you got to go out and do it. I know the schedule isn't going to get easier. A week from now, they actually play at Texas Tech, which is going to be another zoo. Texas Tech, their win-loss record isn't good, but I'm telling you, they're a real team that can really play. Um, And so I understand, like, I'm not saying that I think Kentucky should or will go undefeated the rest of the year, but you got to turn the corner now. You can't be not showing up against South Carolina. You can't be not showing up in other SEC games. Take care of the teams you're supposed to. Listen, if you lose at a Texas Tech or you lose to whatever – LSU down the road or, uh, you know, Auburn or whatever. Like, it's going to happen. You're going to take a loss here and there. But you got to step up the level of kind of intensity. You got to be ready to play. If you bring that Arkansas intensity every single week, every single game, you'll be good going forward. If not, you could struggle. All right. I do quickly want to transition into the Arkansas Razorbacks, because as I said, I got a lot of media friends down there. I got a lot of fans that follow me, a lot of people that listen to this show in the state of Arkansas. And I want to kind of talk about it from Arkansas's perspective, because I, you know, when you lose a game like this, you're at home, it's emotional, you've had a great season to start, but this was the best team that Arkansas has played. You know, you, it takes a little wind out of your sails, and especially the way that it happened, and especially the way you were in control, you had the lead, and you weren't able to hold on. And so it obviously raised a lot of questions from Arkansas's perspective. And so let's get into it from Arkansas's perspective. I do think that, first of all, I don't think this is some great indictment on, oh, the Arkansas was overrated. And they No, Arkansas is a really, really, really good team. And what they do, they do really, really, really well, which is they defend the heck out of you. They shoot the three ball well. They move the ball well. Pace in space. Shots weren't necessarily falling on Saturday, but I don't think that's an indictment that the competition stepped up and they weren't ready. No, that team was ready. That team was ready. That team was ready to play. And it's unfortunate, but the game itself, you know, one team has to win and one team has to lose. I know that's not what an Arkansas fan wants to hear, but that is the reality of the situation. Now, in the smaller picture of this specific game, I did find it interesting, um, you know, to be clear, I'm not saying Arkansas like wasn't ready to play. They were ready to play. They were fired up. But it did seem like the the thing that makes Arkansas so great, they have those four guards that can all take you off the dribble, all can attack, all can shoot, all can score. Those four guards are Mason Jones, Isaiah Joe, Desi Sills, and Jimmy Witt. Now look, all of them have different kind of skill sets within that. Isaiah Joe is the 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 best three-point shooter out of all of them. I think he's taken like close to 200 three-pointers this year. Desi Sills, or excuse me, Jimmy Witt is kind of the mid-range guy. Doesn't shoot, uh, I don't think as of yesterday, hadn't shot any threes this year. Mason Jones is kind of the playmaker. So they all kind of have different skill sets, but they are all those guys. And I did think early in the game, they weren't as aggressive as I've seen them in other games. Now that tends to happen. Sometimes, you know, you you don't the, the the refs are calling it one way. By the way, Kentucky has really good defensive guards on the perimeter. But I did think it was a great sign for Arkansas. In the second half, they came out and they were much more aggressive and they attacked and they went after Kentucky. And that is, by the way, why I would say that I didn't think the refereeing was super one-sided for Kentucky. I think uh, Arkansas just just was like, dude, we got to be more aggressive. We got to attack. This is what we do. We're freaking Arkansas. Mason Jones, Desi Sills, go after these guys. 
And so when all the fouls started to mount, mount up, that wasn't to me the refs being like, oh, you know, we got to give, give Arkansas home cooking. It was like, no, this is how Arkansas plays. And so obviously as the game went on, they build the lead and they aren't able to maintain it. And so when they aren't able to maintain it, the question from Arkansas fans is like, well, AT, what happened? We stink. What's going on? It's like, no, you don't stink. Now, to, to kind of backtrack, if you guys remember about three, four weeks ago, Arkansas beat Indiana and I did my big... A- <laughs> I did my big AT, uh, you know, AT nailed this one speech, which, you know, a lot of people responded to, but whatever. Um, but, you know, the thing with Arkansas, even after that Indiana game, I did say, like, look, this was a great win, but Arkansas has a very specific style of play that they play. And when they face certain teams, they are going to be at a disadvantage. And so I don't think that's being critical of Arkansas. I don't think that's critical of the previous coaching staff, the current coach. Like, it's just a reality. All five starters are 6'6 or under. The only guy that they play that's taller than 6'6 is Reggie Chaney, and he's 6'8. So when Arkansas, although Arkansas is really good, and I think they're one of the, I would say, I think they're honestly one of the three best teams in the the SEC. I truly do. But I also think there are certain teams that there's just going to be a stylistic disadvantage against. We saw it against LSU. To a degree, we saw it against Kentucky. I think it could be a factor against Mississippi State. I think it could be a factor against Auburn. And that doesn't mean that they're not a good team. It just means that college basketball and basketball as a whole is a a style-driven sport. And styles make fights, and some some fights you're going to have the advantage, and some fights you don't. And so with Arkansas, I think that that is the reality. I don't think losing this game means anything. And I do think that if you ask Mason Jones, and I haven't seen any of his quotes or if they had open media availability for the players, but I do think that they would have probably come out a little bit more aggressive than they did. They do come out in the second half and get aggressive, and that's how they get to the point where they've built the lead, where they take the lead, where whatever, before Kentucky makes his late run. Now, in the bigger picture, what does it mean? Because I had a couple of Arkansas fans, well, you know, I don't know, man. I don't think we're going to make the tournament. Da, 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 da. This is an indictment on Mike Anderson who didn't leave. Like, okay, so, so two things. One, like I said, size is going to be an issue for this team. In the preseason, they got a transfer from Cal. His name's Connor Vanover. And they fought tooth and nail to get this kid eligible. And the very simple reason was they knew that they needed a big body. This kid's a seven-footer. I think he's actually listed like seven two, seven three. They knew they needed a big body. He didn't get eligible. And so I do think that if you want to blame the previous coaching staff because they left this program no size once Daniel Gafford left, I can't really argue with that. Um, but... I just think this is who Arkansas is, like I said. I think certain teams are going to match up really well against. Certain teams they won't. But I don't think this is an indictment that Arkansas was overrated or they shouldn't have been in the top 25 or they're not good. I think what Arkansas has to focus on, and this is something I give that coaching staff so much credit for because I think they've done a good job with this. What Arkansas has to focus on is doing what Arkansas does well. Because because I kind of talked about it after the Indiana game, but Arkansas has some very unique advantages that nobody else has. And as much of a matchup problem as, say, LSU was with Emmett Williams and all their guys down low, guess what? Arkansas is a matchup problem with all those quick guards, with how quickly they move the ball, how quickly they, how well they space the floor, how good the three-point shooters can make, how good the three-point shooters are when they make shots. And so for Arkansas going forward, I think the key is continuing to be Arkansas. 
attack, take guys off the dribble, kick, move the ball, take a bunch of three-pointers. You're going to miss a bunch, but you're going to make a bunch, uh, and you're going to hopefully get some long offensive rebounds, and you're going to get second-chance points. You're going to get in transition. You're faster. Kentucky's one of the few teams that Arkansas is, isn't faster than in the open court. If anything, they're probably about the same, but everybody else, whether it is LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, I do think Arkansas is going to have the speed and quickness advantage. So I think for Arkansas, this isn't some big sweeping loss that the season's over. We're not going to make the tournament. I do think they're going to make the tournament. I still think they're one of the three or four best teams in the SEC. Right now, I don't think there's really that much separation between about six or seven teams. I don't think, if you want to say Kentucky's number one after yesterday, I have no problem with it. I don't think there's much separation between Auburn, between Mississippi State, between Alabama, between Arkansas, between LSU, between Florida even. Florida looked good against Auburn yesterday. And so it's just a matter of how do you match up? How are the shots falling on any given night? But I don't believe that this is some incredible indictment on Arkansas. I still think they're a tournament team. I still think with the right matchups, they can make a real run here. I'm telling you, I watch a lot of college basketball. There are no... There, when... when, when People on the national level say there are no great teams this year in college basketball. There are no great teams in college basketball. So you're a seven seed with Arkansas, and you end up you know, getting a two seed like Butler or a two seed like um, you know, Oregon who can't put teams away or a two seed like you know, even Texas Tech. Texas Tech is tough as hell, but they, they don't score a lot. And so I do think that for Arkansas, the goal going forward, and I'm sure this is what it is behind the walls. I haven't talked to anybody over there, you know, about anything substantial since, you know, really probably since the last time Coach Musselman was on the podcast, but it's about being the best version of Arkansas. And if you do that, I truly believe you're going to win a lot of games. I truly believe you're going to be in competition to get one of those top four buys, double buys in the SEC tournament, and you're going to be a tournament team. And then like everybody else, pretty much, it's going to come down to very simply, do you perform when it matters uh, in the NCAA tournament and how do the matchups kind of bounce your favor? You get the right matchup, could end up in the Sweet 16. Get the wrong matchup, you could lose in the first round, but that's pretty much everybody in college basketball this year. All right, let's transition to some other stuff, including the Louisville Cardinals. And first of all, I want to give a shout out to my boy, Chris Mack, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Chris Mack came on this show in the summer created quite a bit of wave because there were some people in Louisville that were not happy that he was doing this show. But hey, YOLO, you got to live your best life. AT's living his best life. So I had Chris Mack on and he said on this show, he said, we have a great freshman class coming in, top five nationally. The guy that has stood out is David Johnson, at least until David Johnson hurt his shoulder in preseason workout. And so why do I bring it up? It's because... To backtrack even more, I know I'm going backwards, but you know, it's the old saying goes, sometimes you got to move backward to go forward. With Louisville, the reason I want to shout out Chris Mack was for this reason, because as everybody knows, I have had a little bit of a contention with Louisville fans throughout the season. They got mad at me because after they lost to Texas Tech at Madison Square Garden, I said, you know what? I don't think this team is very good right now. And they got so mad at me. And they were so upset. And why were they so upset? 
because somebody had the audacity to say that a team that was number one in the country wasn't very good, but as usual, I was proven correct because Louisville then proceeded to lose to Kentucky the next week. They proceeded to lose their ACC opener against Florida State, or their, their January ACC opener because obviously they were playing games in uh, ACC play earlier this year. As usual, when I said something is going to happen, it did. I said Louisville isn't very good, and they weren't. And when they lost to Florida State, I also gave a solution because that's the type of guy I am. I'm AT. I'm not a problem guy. I'm not a complainer guy. I'm a solution guy. We got problem guys, people that bring you their problems. We got solution guys, and AT is a solution guy. And so I said, I said, man, this is, this is the turning point for Chris Mack. This is the turning point for Louisville of this season. And I'm not saying Chris Mack's on the hot seat. I'm not saying he's not a great coach. I think he's a phenomenal coach. I've said it before. I think he'll win at least a national championship at Louisville, if not many. But when they lost to Florida State, I said on this show, this is a turning point. And why it was a turning point was very simply this. Chris Mack at that point was being too loyal to his veterans. Chris Mack at that point was playing guys based on their status on the team as older players versus who gave them the best chance to win. And after the Texas Tech game, I diagnosed the problem. I said, they have no scoring besides Jordan Wara. They have no playmaking off of the ball. or they, don't have, they have no guy that can create plays on the ball. And after the Florida State game, I said, look, I got a, I got a solution for this problem. You got to let the freshmen play, and you got to let them play through their mistakes. And I named two guys specifically. I said, David Johnson, put the ball in his hands, let him play through his mistakes. And if you remember, I did the whole spiel about uh, Calipari and Coach K, how they handle their freshmen versus how a Jay Wright, a Chris Mack, and uh, whoever handle their freshmen, which is John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski, they throw their freshmen in the fire, and they say, son, you got to sink or you got to swim. I thought it was interesting yesterday. Kenny Payne even said to Keon Brooks, one of Kentucky's freshmen, I'm not taking you out. You got to figure this out. And so after that Florida State loss, which was Florida State's third loss to power to a power conference team in a row, I said, Chris Mack, you have to play this kid, David Johnson. You just have to put the ball in his hands. You're going to go through growing pains, but he is the best guy to give you the opportunity to win in March when it matters. You have to have him ready. If you take a loss here in January, it's going to suck in the moment, but it's going to feel so good when you can throw him into the fire in March. And so why do I bring it up? It's because as usual, AT did it again. Did AT do it again or did AT do it again? I told you I'm the college basketball news cycle because I say stuff and then two weeks later it happens and that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Because if you watch the Louisville game, you know that David Johnson was the best player on the floor. It wasn't Jordan Nwora. It wasn't Trey Jones from Duke. It wasn't Vernon Carey from Duke. It wasn't Cassius Stanley from Duke. David freaking Johnson, 17 first half points, 19 points in the game, seven assists, and he is the reason that Louisville won that game. And so I give Chris Mack so much credit, and that's really my big picture takeaway, is that Chris Mack, about two weeks ago, he had to put the ball in the hands of his freshmen and say, play through it. And I thought there were positive signs these last couple weeks they beat Pitt on the road on, I think it was Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday, and David Johnson had 11 points, four assists, and you could see he's kind of that guy. But then he went to Cameron Indoor, 
19 points, 7 assists, and was just phenomenal. And I really do believe, and maybe I'm crazy, but I really do believe that this is the turning point for Louisville. I really do. I picked them in the preseason to go to the Final Four. I picked them in the preseason to win the ACC. It's funny, Louisville fans don't want to acknowledge that part about it. They want to acknowledge the part where I said that they weren't very good after Texas Tech. But I said all this, and most of you did too. I'm not saying that I'm the only one that picked Louisville to go to the Final Four. But I think that this game was the turning point for Louisville that they needed to potentially reach their potential. Because they win this game, they go on the road, they beat Duke at Duke a year after Zion and R.J. Barrett just embarrassed Duke in the Yum Center. You guys remember that game? I think it was a 24-point deficit. Duke ended up coming back in a win. But Louisville goes on the road. They get the win. It's a phenomenal game, but I think Louisville has figured it out. I think they have solved their problems. I think that they now have a guy who can make plays off the dribble. And this doesn't mean that David Johnson has to start, and if he doesn't score 19 a game, they're not going to win. But I think they got that guy now that can make plays off the dribble. I think they got that guy now that when Jordan Noir doesn't score 28 points in a game, they can still be competitive, which is exactly what happened against Duke, by the way. That's exactly what happened against Duke. Jordan Noir wasn't great. He had his moments, but he finished with six points, eight boards, but six points. And if you had told me coming in, or you had told me two weeks ago, Jordan Noir is going to score six points, Louisville's losing every game that they play where Jordan Noir scores six points. I don't care if it's Pitt, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, they would have lost. But they found their guy, they got the answer, they got their next guy, the number two guy, David Johnson is the answer, and I give him, I give Chris Mack so much credit for realizing it, for realizing I have to put the ball in this kid's hands, I have to let him play through his mistakes, he's going to turn the ball over, he is going to make mistakes, it happens, it's part of the deal, he did have five turnovers on, on Saturday, but the pluses outweigh the minuses, and I really do believe Louisville now 6-1 and one in ACC play, and I do believe that they have potentially turned a corner to starting to look like the top 10, top 12, top 15, top 5 team that we had in the preseason that really can compete for a national title. I don't know if they'll get there, but I think they can compete really quickly with Duke. No really great takeaways on Duke. Listen, I, I just think that here's the deal, is that I think that there's about 8 to 10 teams that have kind of separated themselves that can play, that their best is better than everybody else's best. I really do believe that. I think that if you look across the country, look, Gonzaga's awesome. I don't care what you say about their conference, whatever, they're a good basketball team. They might, they might have four or five pros on that team. Baylor is really good. I know traditionally we don't think of Baylor as being this great powerhouse juggernaut, but they're there. Kansas. Kentucky, I still think, is there. They can play with anybody. Michigan State is turning a corner. I think San Diego State's right there, although they didn't look that good on Saturday. And I think now, and I think Duke's in that conversation. And so, like, I know they've lost back-to-back games. I know they didn't look great. I know that they struggle. But listen, keep in mind, their best player, Vernon Carey, was also in foul trouble. Listen, I would love to make this the show where I come on and I say, Duke's done. It's over. They have no chance. I just don't believe that. I didn't see anything from them that made me feel like, okay, they've got no shot. They had four players finishing double figures. Uh, one of their other freshmen, Cassius Stanley, continues to be phenomenal. I saw this kid in L.A. all the time when he was in high school. I never thought he would be this good. He finished with 24 points. He is going to play himself into the lottery. 
But again, if you want some big, you know, screaming hot take about Duke, it ain't from me. It ain't the answer. All right, a couple quick topics I do want to wrap up on. And one of them, unfortunately, is my UConn Huskies. Because, listen, I, I know I don't normally talk about teams that are 10 and 7 on this show, but I have to talk about UConn. Because I, I, they're at just such a, a fascinating point in their program's tra- trajectory. And it's for very simply this reason. Is they went to Villanova on Saturday and they played about as well as you can without actually winning the game. And again, I know, I get it. You guys can't watch every game. But for UConn, this was a game that they could have won. And it's the second weekend in a row where they played a top 15 team. Last week it was Wichita State. This week it was Villanova. And they had the chance to win. And so I do want to talk about UConn because I think they're getting so close. And they just can't quite get over that hump. And I think it's coming soon. And I think when it happens, the floodgates are going to open. But if you didn't watch this game, and again, you guys are bouncing back and forth. You're running errands on Saturday before the game that you want to watch. What I'll say with UConn is this. Jumped out to an early lead. Villanova battles back. And then at the 14-minute mark of the second half, UConn gets the lead. They take a 35-33 lead, and UConn holds the lead at Villanova. Villanova's a good team now. Remember, Villanova beat Kansas at Villanova about three weeks ago. UConn takes a 35-33 lead with 14 minutes left in the game. They don't give back the lead until there's three minutes left. And that 14-minute mark to about the seven or the eight-minute mark in the second half, that was the best that UConn has looked, I'm not kidding you, since Shabazz Napier was at UConn. They competed defensively. They got after it. They contested shots. They rebounded. They blocked shots. They have a freshman named Akuka Cook blocking shots into into the arena offensively they're moving the ball they're making plays they're getting contributions from across the board which is kind of crazy because their best three-point shooter Tyler Polly was lost for the season last week with an ACL tear and so for UConn it was the best stretch that they've played in forever but of course I'm not talking about if they had if they had won I might have led the show with it but they didn't win they ended up losing and it's continuing a bit of a disturbing trend if you're a UConn fan because if you think about this season, UConn has, I don't even want to say for the most part, taken care of the teams that they're supposed to, but they have a great win at home against Florida. But when they get away from Gamble Pavilion or Hartford, the results aren't very good. Um, and they, but, but the problem is, is that they've been really competitive against good teams. And they've gotten blown out a few times here and there. They got smoked by Cincinnati a few weeks ago. But in the big games... They have been ready to play, and they just couldn't get over the hump in the end. Earlier this year, right around Thanksgiving, they lose to Xavier in double overtime. Like I said, last week, they lose to Wichita in double overtime. And like I said, yesterday, they lost to Villanova, or Saturday, they lost to Villanova in a game that they had the lead for the majority of the second half. Now, why is this happening? Well, it's a couple things. Listen. You're playing a lot of young players, three true freshmen. They're on the road. There were some mistakes late. You guys know my policy. I do not like to criticize college kids, but I think if there is an egregious mistake and that mistake repeats itself, 
you got to mention certain things. I hate to do it, but I did it a few weeks ago with Louisville. I said, look, I'm not here to criticize college kids, but there's a couple kids on this team that shouldn't be playing, not over David Johnson. And I said it, and it ended up being correct. And with UConn, they have a fourth-year senior, fourth-year junior, excuse me, named Altariq Gilbert. He is one of the great kids in this program. He has been through it all, overcome season-ending injuries, but this guy does make mistakes with the ball late. He had a costly turnover in a one-point game with a minute to go. Not saying he's the reason they lost, to be abundantly clear. Not saying that he's the reason that they lost. But you got to call a spade a spade, and when you're a fourth-year college player, you can't make a dumb mistake late in the game to cost your team or to be a factor in your team not winning that game. Still, that's not the reason they lost, but that was a big factor. But I want to talk about it in the big picture because I really do believe that this program is so close to breaking through, to kicking down that wall, to being a program that I'm not saying they're going to be next year at the Duke, Gonzaga, Louisville, Kentucky level competing for national championship. I'm not saying what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is I'm talking about a consistent top 25 team, NCAA tournament team, maybe a second weekend team. And I get that it's not there yet. And I get that it's frustrating for UConn fans because I'm one of them. I watch every game. I watched that Cincinnati bloodbath a few weeks ago. I lost. I watched them lose at South Florida a few weeks ago. I watched the Xavier. I mean, I've watched all these games. And I'm telling you, they're not that far away. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do believe that they will break through. As I mentioned off the top of the show, I did go to UConn. And I remember when I was there uh, in the 2008 season. So 2007 was the year. 2006 was the year they lose to George Mason. Rudy Gay's there. Um, Marcus Williams is there, Josh Boone's there, et cetera, et cetera. 2007, the whole team leaves. They bring in a bunch of freshmen. AJ Price is back from suspension. Hashim Thabit's there, Jeff Adrian's there, whatever. Um, and they really struggle. And into 2008, they couldn't close out games. And I remember there vividly being two games. They won on the road at Indiana, and they beat Marquette at home on a Sunday. And that completely changed their season. And once they got over that hurdle of winning a close big game against good competition, they were fine. And then in 2009, they went to the Final Four. And in 2011, they won the National Championship. And I'm telling you, UConn is so close right now. I understand the frustration, but I didn't want to touch on the Huskies because this is the second Saturday in a row, that or second weekend in a row, that they have played a top 25 team that they could have won. And by the way, I mentioned... Double overtime loss to Xavier. Double overtime loss to Wichita. Loss to Villanova where they led for about 14 minutes in the second half. If they win two out of those three games, we're talking about them as an NCAA tournament team this year. And so they are going to have their chances. They are going to have their opportunities. They actually play at Houston on Thursday. So the next big opportunity is right around the corner. But I just believe that this team and this program is ready to break through. I don't know if it happens this year. I actually saw Dan Hurley made some comments similar to that effect of basically, um, you know, people are starting to call them the uh, heartache Huskies because every game is so close and they can't get over the hump. But Dan Hurley essentially said kind of the same thing is that we're getting close. The game was on the table for us. We're changing the way we show up. And I think that's the big thing for UConn too, real quick, right? is that they come into these games ready to play. And I think if you're a UConn fan listening to this, you have to remember, 
it wasn't that long ago that that game would have been a 30-point loss. If Kevin Ollie was the head coach, it would have been a 30-point loss. They battled, they competed, they were ahead late in the game, and they just couldn't get over the hump, but I believe they will get there. All right, last topic. Want to do some West Coast stuff. Because one of the reasons you guys love AT is because AT does, I, I mean, I talk a lot of, you know, Pac-12, and I will say when I open the mailbag, one of the biggest questions I get, AT, what's going on in the West Coast? I can't stay up late. I got to get up at 6 a.m. Eastern time to go to work. I can't be staying up till 1 a.m. to watch Oregon State, Washington, Pac-12 basketball. Can't do it. I'm sorry. What do I need to know? So I, I want to talk to you about Arizona specifically because I do think that Arizona may have had a turning point kind of weekend. And it sounds preposterous because if you just go on ESPN.com right now and you look at Arizona's schedule, what you will see is that last weekend they actually lost two games in the state of Oregon. And for people who don't understand, the way that the Pac-12 works is that you do these kind of joint road trips, right? It's not like the, say, ACC where you go, when, when, when you're in the ACC and you fly to North Carolina to play Duke, you then probably charter back home and the next day, the next game's a home game against Boston College or Georgia Tech. That's not how the Pac-12 works. What the Pac-12 does instead is you play joint road games. So if, you, if you're Oregon and you're coming to LA to play UCLA, you just stay, and two or three days later, you play USC. And I think it's kind of this archaic thing from before teams chartered and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's the way the Pac-12 has done it forever. The problem is, with the Pac-12, is that now with these new TV schedules, the, the schedule's all scattered, right? And so sometimes you'll play on a Wednesday and you won't play again until a Saturday. It used to be you play Thursday, Saturday. Now it's you play on a Wednesday, you don't play till Saturday, you play on a, a Thursday, you don't play till Sunday. And so why do I bring this up with Oregon? Well, they lost back-to-back games last week against Oregon. Or, or, uh, why do I bring up Arizona? They lost back-to-back games last week against Oregon in the Oregon schools. And I think everybody would say, well, they're just not that good. I don't buy it, and let me tell you why. First of all, the game against Oregon, they were in complete control of they led early. They led at halftime. They were up at four with about they were up four with about four minutes to go. They couldn't close out. They end up losing in overtime. What ends up happening? Well, they got to play Oregon State later that weekend. The problem is this. They played Oregon on Thursday night. They don't play Oregon State again until Sunday night, 7 p.m. So think about it. They fly to Oregon Wednesday night. They play Thursday night emotional loss, they could have won, they should have won, then they got to sit around in a hotel for 72 hours, play a game at Sunday night, they don't want to be there, Oregon State shows up, they're a veteran team, and Oregon State beats the crap out of Arizona, and so I think at that point, everyone's like, okay, Arizona's just not that good, but I never bought it, and I'll tell you why I never bought it, with, with Arizona, I think being a young team, I just don't think they were ready to play, because they were sitting around for 72 hours, And even in that Oregon game that they lost, I said, you know what? I think they're starting to figure this out. And for people who haven't watched Arizona, really good freshman point guard named Nico Mannion from Arizona, state champion, one of the most accomplished players in the history of that state. Um, And they have a big guy named Zeke Naji. You know, young, athletic, you know, bouncy, whatever. And even in the loss to Oregon, I thought they kind of figured out how they want to play stylistically. Unlike most Sean Miller teams, they don't play great defense, but, or unlike, yeah, most Sean Miller teams play great defense, they don't, 
But what they figured out is that with Nico Mannion and Zeke Naji, you got to surround them with three-point shooters, right? It's almost like, you know, Villanova with Jalen Brunson or whoever. I'm just trying to think of a team, you know, uh, Houston Rockets with James Harden. James Harden handles the ball. He's looking for his shot. But if he can't find it, all he has is three-point shooting around the arc. And I think Arizona has done that. They have figured it out. The guys that complement Nico Mannion and Zeke Naji well, they have a kid named Dylan Smith who hit a couple threes against uh, Colorado on Saturday. And for people, I, I kind of missed the point here. They did beat Colorado and Utah over this past weekend, and that's why I think they've turned the corner. I don't buy that it was this big, catastrophic loss, uh, lost weekend in Oregon last week because I do think it was one of those deals where they lose the first game, they come out flat for the second game, veteran team beats them up, they end up going back with their tail between their legs, but they have two nice wins this weekend. They dominate Utah, they dominate Colorado, which is a legitimate top 25 team in my opinion, and the way they do it is is in such a way that they have figured out how they want to play. Shooting around Nico Mannion, as I said, this kid Dylan Smith is playing well. They have a big name, Stone Gettings, who can shoot threes. They have a grad transfer named Max Hazard. And I think Arizona now is quietly positioning themselves to make a run in the Pac-12. I don't buy Oregon, which has like an 11-man rotation, and you never know what you're going to get from anyone other than their star point guard, Peyton Pritchard, every night. Colorado looked outclassed by Arizona. I think by the end of the year, we're going to be talking about Arizona as the winner of the Pac-12 regular season, winner of the Pac-12 tournament, and I do think that they will be a threat to make another run. It's going to be tough. They're, they're the best players are freshmen, so if they don't get to a Final Four, don't give me the whole, oh, Sean Miller always never wins a big one. Now, they have a bunch of freshmen. We'll see how they do in the tournament, but I think this was a big weekend. I would expand on it more, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of just done. I think I'm done. I've done 50-plus minutes on a weekend in college basketball. So I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. By the way, if you like it, if you don't, if you want more of anything, if it is Arizona, if it is Pac-12, if it is Big Ten, if it is there, if there's just a hole in this show that you want more of, please email me, let me know, tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to talk about. I think next episode I might get to the Big Ten which is where people are saying they might get 12 NCAA tournament bids. I don't know that I believe that, but that's what the folks are saying. So if you have any anything you want me to talk about, always feel free to email me at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions. We'll get into it. But I do think that's it for today's show. I want to thank you guys for listening. Please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, do it on Podcast Addict, do it on Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You got to download it, subscribe, rate, review. It really does help if you can rate review. If not, it's not a big deal, but I'm just telling you, it really does help. Rate review, give us a quick five stars. Follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And of course, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I had a great shout out of the day. I kind of forgot about it until right now. I do want to give my shout out of the day really quickly to the LSU Tigers. I know I was already done, but I forgot the shout out of the day. And I got to give the shout out of the day to the LSU football team, and here's why. Video surfaced to them at the White House on Friday. They're dancing with this blonde, this beautiful blonde woman. She was apparently the wife of a former player, and you got four or five guys that are dancing with her in the White House, and all I'm saying is shout out to the LSU Tigers. And you know why I shout out to the LSU Tigers? Very simply this. It's because they are celebrating a national championship the way you should, right? 
We get all these boring teams in sports, and we live in this politically correct time, and you can't do anything interesting. It's going to end up on social media. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to embarrass the school. And LSU said, screw that. They said, screw the whole act like we've been here before. Guess what? We never have been here before. And not only have we never been here before, we don't know if we'll ever get here again. And so what are we going to do? We're going to hit Bourbon Street after the game. Joe Burrow shows up drunk to do the part of my take interview where he basically said, yeah, Odell Beckham's handing out cash. They're taking cash from Odell. I don't encourage breaking NCAA rules, but most of the guys that were caught on video were, in fact, seniors or guys that have already left for the NFL, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, But they took cash. They went to Bourbon Street. Joe Burrow shows up drunk. They're dancing in the White House. It was unbelievable. And so shout out to the LSU Tigers for just living their best life, for not being able to celebrate a national championship the way that they should. All right, that's it for today's show. All over the place these last 10 minutes. It's exhausting, but this is what I do. This is why ATJT. I want to thank you guys. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, give us a quick five stars. Uh, Instagram, I already mentioned, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is it. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. We will be back later this week. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.